Welcome to Done and Done. I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, All Things Dominic Dunn, where nothing is linear and everything is connected. Thank you for joining me today, and I'm wishing you the very best of holiday weeks. I have a special treat for you this week, a trio of an arc. I'm super excited about this one, friends. We have explored a bit across the pond over the course of the last episodes. It's time to play with a little transatlantic crossing here in the coming episodes. We are moving our investigation to American girls, the plucky, sassy ladies who head across the pond to set London and the country house party circuit on fire for decades. Before we begin with our first American girl, I do have a spyglass here to give some love and thanks and praise to our latest supporters over at patreon.com slash done and done, Fran S., Lauren C., Susan A., MJ, holy cats, I am so grateful for you all. Thank you for your support on Patreon, getting ad-free episodes, our bonus not done yet, episodes two. Lots of fun happening over there in that community, and I am incredibly grateful for our new supporters and our existing supporters as well. Hey, wait a minute. I have two more names here. I could not be more grateful to Meryl B. and Elja Belissa. Your kind reviews on the Apple machine are so much appreciated. Big thank you to you both. Sending all the warmest wishes to all of you. Thank you for your support of Done and Done. Thanks for coming back to listen today. On our first episode of our arc of three American girls, it's the one that begins it all, really. The first American girl to marry a duke in Britain. This is Consuelo Isnaga, who will, through marriage, become Duchess of Manchester. But you know I'm going to bring you way more spiderwebs than just a high society marriage. Let's investigate. Englishmen, especially the Prince of Wales, later known as King Edward VII, found American girls simply fascinating. These American girls were far more confident and spunkier than their English counterparts. They had been raised entirely differently than English girls. In America, upper-class girls were not typically raised as second-class citizens in the same way that upper-class English girls were. With primogeniture ruling in England, daughters born into the English aristocracy were clearly considered far less important than their brothers, and in most situations, the only brother that was important was the oldest brother. The daughters of the American upper class were used to seeing their mothers have some decision-making power, as well as some pretty great influence over their father's decisions as well. In America, Women still did not have many legal rights, but they did have far more than English women. These privileged upper-class American daughters saw their mothers choose the household staff, the family's social schedule, clothing, educational tutors and schools, their household decor, any vacations the family might take, so many other things as well. The only thing that was universally off-limits to the American upper-class woman was the boardroom. Typically, the upper-class American woman was only exempt from making financial or business decisions, 
But aside from that, these formidable women ruled the roost, and their husbands were happy to let them, or maybe too afraid not to let them. It was also agreed upon, though, that wealthy American women were far more beautiful and better dressed than women of the English aristocracy. They typically took far more trouble with their appearances and had more expensive and attractive clothing. It is not surprising, then, that the daughters of these women were far more educated, empowered, and bolder than the English girls the British aristocratic men were used to. The Englishmen found these lively traits exciting and appealing. The American girls' money didn't hurt either. American girls additionally could talk to people with far greater ease. They had been groomed to speak to and interact with others. Their social skills were finely honed and refined through approved and chaperoned social gatherings where the young people were expected to interact with the opposite sex. As a result, these American girls were witty and friendly as opposed to the sometimes hesitant and stodgy way the upper-class English girls were seen. To the wealthy American families of these girls, their daughters were considered the way to boost their family's standing in society. Since money alone would not get them into the social elite of America, the successful marriage of a daughter could raise the status of an entire family. Therefore, daughters had great positive potential for the family's future. One of the most bold, beautiful, and plucky of these rich American girls was the banjo-playing Consuelo Isnaga. Consuelo would become the first American girl to marry a duke. Remember, the duke is the highest rank in our British peerage. Consuelo is not the first, though, to marry into the peerage. That is her good friend, Jenny Jerome. She is coming in this arc as well. But today it is Consuelo Naga's story. And what a story it is. Consuelo Naga's exact birthday was unrecorded but it is known that she was born in 1853 in New York City. Consuelo was the second of four children, and she grew up on a plantation in Louisiana. Her parents also owned homes in New York, Newport, Rhode Island, and Cuba. Consuelo's father, Antonio Isnaga de Valle, was from a wealthy established Cuban family. Consuelo's mother, Ellen Clement, grew up in Louisiana and was the daughter of a steamboat captain turned plantation owner. Consuelo's grandfather will own Ravenswood Plantation on Lake St. John in Concordia Parish, which is where Ellen, mother of Consuelo, our American girl for the story, today grows up. Antonio, Consuelo's father, again from a Cuban family with many connections to the Spanish aristocracy. He's also a big-time plantation and enslaved people owner. He has land and production happening in Cuba, Louisiana, and Texas too. Lots of sugar money will make the family very wealthy. Antonio and Ellen marry in 1849, and quickly four children follow. Consuelo is our second of four children. Consuelo has an older brother, Fernando, followed by two younger sisters. Fernando, the older brother here, will grow up as best friends with William Kassam Vanderbilt. 
We've talked about him in a few previous episodes. He'll be connected throughout some of our coming stories as well. Consuelo, along with her two sisters, Emily and Natica, collect this sort of trio of sisters. The three Isnaga sisters were considered to be great beauties. I do love these repetitions of sister groupings moving through our story through high society. We're going to find many, many of these. So y'all, it's not just the folks in New York City that have cash to spend in our booming industrial and gilded age time. There are many, many Southern planters and their families that are also looking for a way to improve their standing in society. Maybe looking to find a way to make some moves for their family towards the northern environment. Also, in the summertime, the season, as it is known, is way better to spend in the cooler northern states than the hot and muggy southern ones. So let's go ahead and put Newport, Rhode Island into our mix here for a moment. Newport, Rhode Island is very much part of the background in many of these stories in our investigation. And the Isnagas are going to build a home in Newport in 1865 called Reef Point. The Italianite mansion is landed on a whopping 6.2 acres on the best street in town. The best street in town in Newport, Rhode Island is Bellevue Avenue. Reef Point, this home, has the very finest views from the Newport Cliffs. Sometime in the 1870s, the Isnaga sell Reef Point. The home will go through a few more owners, eventually being sold, but not for the home itself, but for the property. Edward Collings Knight Jr. in 1910 buys Reef Point and its acreage. He needs all that acreage to extend the gardens of his mansion home, Clarendon Court. Edward Knight would like an ocean view and to build formal gardens, and it is at this point that Reef Point is demolished in order to make way for the entire expanse of Clarendon Court. Said that now a few times. If Clarendon Court is ringing a bell, it was the home of Sonny and Klaus von Bülow, where the attempted murders of Sonny will take place many decades further down in our story. But when I say nothing is linear and everything connects, this is very much a prime example. This is how the Isnaga family meets many, many families that are going to play in their family story. After the Civil War, though, many Southern families that did make their money in plantations and enslaved people have quite a shift in their way of life. You'll find a great exodus of a number of families kind of getting out of the states. And like other rich but maybe societally unacceptable families, not only through their lack of cachet, but maybe they're finding their lives drastically different post-Civil War, the Isnaga family does go to Paris. They're going to spend their time at the French court of Emperor Napoleon III and Empress Eugenie. At the time, the French court was welcoming to anyone who had style and money, regardless of how the money was made or how long you had had that money. So instead of spending her years being shunned by New York society, where the Isnagas would have been outsiders, 
Consuelo and her sisters, Emily and Natica, were instead spending those years among the most glamorous and decadent parties and balls that Paris had to offer. In Paris, Consuelo becomes great friends with other American girls who were not quite accepted into Knickerbocker society. They enjoy this lifestyle until Paris was invaded during the Franco-Prussian War. The Isnagas flee to London for safety. It would be in London that Consuelo, along with her friend Jenny Jerome, would make her debut into society. While many in the English upper classes also would have snubbed Consuelo for not being up to their standards, there was one especially important Englishman who was beguiled by Consuelo and her American friend, Jenny Jerome. And that's Bertie, Prince of Wales' future King Edward VII. Oh, Bertie. He was enchanted by this blonde, vivacious American girl with a charming Southern accent. Bertie, again our future King Edward VII, finds Consuelo to be funny, unconventional, uninhibited, and Bertie really appreciates that she knows how to have fun. Once Bertie approves of Consuelo, all the doors in society are now open to her. After making a very successful debut, the Isnagas return to America for a time. Consuelo spends some time in Saratoga Springs, New York, which at the time was a famous destination for the flirtations of young eligible people outside of Knickerbocker society. It was in Saratoga Springs that Consuelo meets the 23-year-old George Victor Montague, Viscount Mandeville, known as Kim. Kim, as Lord Mandeville, is called Kim as a nickname for his home, Kimbleton Castle. Kim is the eldest son and heir to the Duke of Manchester. A little bit of a dish here on Kimbleton Castle, friends. It has been involved in much history through time. Kimbleton Castle is originally built by the first Earl of Essex in the 12th century. The Earl of Essex historically has kind of been a big deal over time. However, with the Earl of Essex, there have been nine different creations of that title. This is a great example of how peerages change through 10 centuries of established British monarchy. At Kimbledon Castle, the inner court is rebuilt in the 15th century by Anne Neville. Anne Neville, the daughter of the kingmaker, Richard Neville, and also wife of King Richard III. It is to Kimbleton Castle where Catherine of Aragon is sent by Henry VIII, where Catherine of Aragon eventually dies. Not the story we're telling today. Let's go back to Kim, our future husband of Consuelo, named for this particular castle with all the history. We are here with Kim, future husband of Consuelo, named for his castle. Let's talk about how it gets in Kim's family. It is the first Earl of Manchester who buys Kimbledon Castle in 1615, and the Dukes of Manchester live at Kimbledon until the 10th Duke of Manchester sells it in 1950 to Kimbleton School. The Kimbleton School has owned and operated the castle since that year, 1950, and there are approximately 1,000 students who attend there each year. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ladies and gentlemen. What are you doing? What do you mean? I'm making Just keep it simple. I'm making the promo. Just keep it simple. Just say, hey, we're the Brav Bros. Two guys that talk about Bravo. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're the Brav Bros. No. Oh. Dude. Stop with the voice. Just the vo- keep it simple. I've seen promos on TV, dude. This is how you get the fans in- engaged. This is how you get listeners. We're trying to get listeners here. If we just say, oh, we're two dudes that talk about Bravo, people are going to get tired of it already. We need some oomph. All right, then fine. Let's try to do it with your voice. Bravo, bros. Good job. Kimbledon Castle, been in the family generation of the Dukes of Manchester for quite a while. Kim, future husband, goes by the name of the castle. Right now, he's Lord Mandeville. And he's not exactly considered a great catch, despite his family's title. Kim has a scandalous reputation for spending money freely on alcohol, gambling, and women. Kim also has a low constant fever, which is thought possibly to be typhoid fever. But Kim is pretty good friends with the Prince of Wales, and Kim will become the next Duke of Manchester. And for American society... This is the pinnacle of status. Kim is not considered a desirable spouse for a proper English young lady. And Kim, with the prospect of inheriting an estate that he is in no way going to be able to afford, Viscount Mandeville has gone to America looking for a little help. That is why Kim is in Saratoga Springs. He is on the hunt for a rich wife. It will not take Kim long to find one. Kim proposes to Consuelo. Consuelo accepts. But it is not all smooth sailing for our young couple. Kim tells his parents, the current Duke and Duchess of Manchester, about his engagement, and they were downright furious. They do not find Consuelo's family at all to be suitable. The Duke of Manchester refers to Consuelo as Naga as, quote-unquote, the little American savage. However, as the Manchester family and estate were deeply in debt, it turns out the Isnaga fortune could in fact ease the disappointment in their son's choice of bride. Along with her numerous personal attributes, Consuelo also brings a $200,000 dowry. This is about $5 million in today's money. The real deciding factor, though, here, friends, was the very enthusiastic approval of Bertie the Prince of Wales. He is an ardent supporter of Consuelo, and no Englishman, not even a duke, would dare to refuse the future king. Consuelo and Kim do marry at New York City's Grace Church on May the 22nd, 1876. The wedding was highly publicized and attended. The route to the church was nearly blocked by the crowds of reporters and cheering onlookers. Mary Stevens, known as Minnie, Someone who would become a power broker of transatlantic meetings and engagements in the future was one of Consuelo's bridesmaids. Sir Bosch Cunard, future husband of Maud Emerald Cunard, the illustrious London hostess, served as groomsman. 
Upon her marriage, Consuelo becomes Viscountess Mandeville and the future Duchess of Manchester. This is a triumph for the Isnaga family. And while Jenny Jerome, her friend, was the first American to marry into the English peerage two years earlier, Consuelo was the first American girl to snag herself a duke. By the Knickerbocker names that attended the wedding, it was now obvious that American society could no longer shun the Isnagas. Sadly, the wedding day would be the highlight of the Manchester-Isnaga marriage. Things begin to fall apart shortly after the couple takes their vows. After their wedding, Consuelo and Kim begin their married life in England. Kim returns to his free-spending and womanizing and heavy-drinking ways. Consuelo, on the other hand, becomes a society favorite. She would thrill Bertie with her cigar-smoking, her storytelling, and her sense of humor. Consuelo soon becomes a very popular member of the Marlborough House set, which is the Prince of Wales's inner circle. Despite Kim's bad behavior, the couple will quickly produce three children. A son, William, was born in 1877, less than one year after the wedding. Twin daughters, Jacqueline and Alice, follow in 1879. It does not take too long for Kim to squander much of the fortune that Consuelo brings to their marriage. Utterly disgusted with his son's behavior and desperate to find a way to curb his spending, the Duke of Manchester actually sends Kim, his son, his heir, out of the country. The Duke will banish Kim and his family to Tandragee Castle, this is the ducal estate in County Armagh, Ireland, located in the province of Ulster. Hoping to dispel some of the shame of being banished to Ireland, the Mandevilles decide to head across the pond. They're going to go back to New York City to have a little visit with Consuelo's best friend, Alva Smith, who has now married William K. Vanderbilt, conveniently the best friend of Consuelo's brother, Fernando. It all comes back around. Alva Vanderbilt, if we want to remember, had just built an extravagant and palatial new mansion, the Petit Chateau at 660 Fifth Avenue. The construction of this impressive castle-like home was supposed to signal that the William K. Vanderbilt family had arrived into the elite of New York society. But Alva was falling short of her goal. Remember that Knickerbocker Society's reigning queen at the time, Caroline Shermerhorn Astor, continued to ice out all the nouveau riche Vanderbilts as well as other families. Alva, though, is going to find a way to solve this problem. Her best friend, Consuelo, also has some problems to solve. Oh, we love it when two friends get together and make a plan. See, Consuelo is miserable in her unhappy marriage. Consuelo is also in need of money. So Alva and Consuelo team up. These two clever and innovative women find a way to, in fact, improve both of their situations. What's their solution? You've heard of it. It's legendary. The solution is to throw the party of the century. This is Alva Vanderbilt's costume ball of 1883. We've heard all about the party, this is why the party happens, y'all. How does throwing a big party of the century solve the problem? For Alva, it gives her a way to break into society with the 
lavishness and extravagance of presenting her new home and with this ball attended by her friend, the future Duchess of Manchester, whoa, gives it so much legitimacy. The ball is going to be given in honor of Consuelo, just to make it clear how close of a friendship Alva and Consuelo have. Not even the highest people in New York society can turn down attending a party with an actual aristocrat. What does Consuelo get out of it? Well, the ball gives her a rare time of joy and planning and attending a fun and elaborate event, but really for her, it is where Consuelo is going to establish her little brokerage firm of introducing rich American girls to not-so-rich-but-very-well-titled English aristocrats. For her efforts, Consuelo would receive generous tips or thank-you gifts. Consuelo figures that this is a great way to support herself and her children since her louse of a husband really can't be counted on for much. Good plan, right? But the plan isn't quite put in place yet because the presence of the Mandevilles alone was not ever going to be enough for Caroline Shermerhorn Astor, who was still resisting the Vanderbilt's acceptance into her close-knit society. Alva and Consuelo, though, no worries. They're going to outmaneuver Caroline by choosing Caroline's daughter, Carrie, to be one of the ladies chosen to dance a quadrille at the ball. The quadrilles are four people dances. They're kind of a big deal if you get chosen to do one at a big party. Carrie Astor couldn't be more delighted about this. And when she goes to her mom to ask and her mom, Caroline, tries to refuse her. Carrie begs and pleads until Caroline Astor has to relent. Whoa, y'all, the Vanderbilt Costume Ball of 1883 was a smashing success. Attended by 1,200 extravagantly costumed guests, all arriving in carriages. Remember, police had to forcibly hold back crowds that had just come to get any kind of glimpse into the glamour and decadence. All of the official photos from this legendary night are held and exhibited in the Museum of the City of New York. The cost of Alva's big party was approximately $50,000, about $1.3 million in today's money. The champagne bill alone for the party was about $2,000, looking at $50,000 today. This is a drop in the bucket for Alva to land on the map. Her Fifth Avenue mansion and contents were valued at about $5 million, about $130 million today. 1883 ball, tremendous success. However, the Mandevilles do at some point return to Ireland, where Kim falls right back into his same rakish behavior and the couple become even more estranged. Viscount Mandeville was rarely home. He'll leave for even weeks and months at a time. It is in 1890 that the seventh Duke of Manchester died, and Kim will inherit the title and estates of the Duke of Manchester. Consuelo is now the Duchess of Manchester, but unfortunately, her situation had not improved. Consuelo is completely disillusioned with her husband's behavior, 
And in this time, she will take great solace as well as financial help from her Marlboro set of friends. Bertie was still a great supporter of Consuelo's, and she would spend a great deal of time with both the Prince and the Princess of Wales. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Consuelo, though, by this point is now a much respected and successful power broker in the Transatlantic Marriage Bureau. Consuelo has access to the English aristocracy and was all too happy to make introductions for a small fee. Meanwhile, though, Consuelo's expenses continued to mount and Kim, her husband, continued to be a degenerate. Something key happens, though, in 1882. Parliament passes the Married Women's Property Act, which gives married women the right to retain and control their own property and money instead of having to automatically and immediately give it to their husband, which was the previous law. This is crucial for Consuelo. She no longer has to surrender her earnings to her husband, which Kim would inevitably and quickly squander. Consuelo never stopped trying to reach him and sent him many letters asking her husband to come home, telling him of her and the children's love for him. Since she was not sure where he was, she would address these letters to the Pelican Club. The Pelican Club was a place for the rich and notorious to gamble, womanize, and engage in otherwise lurid behaviors. The Duke of Manchester is also having an open affair with a popular music hall singer named Bessie Bellwood. This affair is written about in the newspapers and gossiped about in society, which will humiliate Consuelo even further. Oh, but the value in friendship. Consuelo will turn to one of her other best friends, Jenny Churchill, for comfort and advice. Consuelo also commits herself to charitable works, especially focusing on charities that help abused and impoverished children. Consuelo is doing what she can to carve a life out for herself within the parameters of her role in society as the Duchess of Manchester. Very luckily for Consuelo, her marital mystery would not last much longer. Consuelo was freed from her wretched marriage in 1892 when her husband, the 8th Duke of Manchester, Kim, dies at the age of 39, just two years after inheriting the dukedom. Now free from the constraints of her marriage and due to the success of her high society dating firm, Consuelo was able to live a much freer and happier life as the Dowager Duchess of Manchester. Consuelo, along with her friend, Lady Minnie, bridesmaid from so long ago, was instrumental in arranging the meeting and eventual marriage of her namesake and goddaughter, Consuelo Vanderbilt, to the Duke of Marlborough in 1895. Tragically, in the span of five years, Consuelo lost both of her beautiful twin daughters to consumption. The first, Lady Jacqueline in 1895, the second, Lady Alice in 1900. 
In 1900, Consuelo's son, William Angus Montague, the ninth Duke of Manchester, followed in his father's footsteps by marrying an American heiress to help with the costs of upholding and restoring his inherited estates. William, our ninth Duke, marries Helen Zimmerman, a beautiful daughter of a successful Ohio stock trader, railroad president, and owner of a large portion of Standard Oil. Unfortunately, though, the ninth Duke of Manchester was very much like his father, the eighth Duke, in other ways, too. William spends most of his life overspending on frivolous and illicit pursuits. He's deeply in debt, and his scandalous behavior was widely gossiped about. In 1903, the New York Times ran an article describing a typical incident in the Duke's life. Quote, 125 pieces of the Duke and Duchess's luggage was seized as they disembarked from the Lusitania due to an unpaid $695 jeweler's bill, unquote. William Angus Montague, Ninth Duke, filed for bankruptcy more than once. An all-time low for him is when he attempted to pawn his mother's jewels without her consent and was sentenced to prison for fraud. William and Helen will have four children, two sons, two daughters, and eventually Helen will decide that she's had enough of her husband's nonsense and divorce William in 1932. Helen will go on to marry the 10th Earl Kintor. The Duke will remarry, this time to a stage actress named Kathleen Dawes. When William dies in 1947, there's nothing left to inherit, and his son, the 10th Duke of Manchester, begins selling off the properties, including Kimbleton Castle, in order to salvage whatever could be salvaged after the disastrous years of his father and grandfather. Consuelo, for her part, never lost the favor and friendship of the Prince and Princess of Wales, who would become King Edward VII and Queen Alexandra in 1901 after the death of Queen Victoria. This elevates Consuelo's standing even more. Also in 1901, Consuelo inherits $2 million upon the death of her brother Fernando. This would be about $62 million today. Fernando had quite a life. He successfully invested the Isnaga family fortune and grew it substantially. Fernando holds a seat on the New York Stock Exchange for many years and had been considered one of the most charming men in New York society. Fernando did marry twice. His first marriage was to Alva Smith Vanderbilt's sister, Jenny. Oh, it all comes back around. It is a testament to Consuelo that she remained a celebrated and revered society figure, even with all the scandal and tragedy that surrounded her. Shortly before her death, Consuelo even entertained her good friend, King Edward VII and Tsar Nicholas II, when he was in England for a visit. Consuelo Isnaga Montague, Dowager Duchess of Manchester, died of neutritis on November 2, 1909, at the age of 56. Both of her sisters were with her when she died. Consuelo is buried in St. Andrew's Churchyard in Kimbleton, England. Consuelo, upon her death, will leave a diamond bracelet to her friend, Queen Alexandra, and a ruby and diamond tassel to Louisa Cavendish, Duchess of Devonshire. Consuelo also makes several charitable bequests, including $5,000 to an organization to stop cruelty for children, 
The remainder of her estate was split between her sisters and grandchildren. Consuelo Esnaga will be forever immortalized as the inspiration for the character Conchita Clausen in Edith Wharton's novel The Buccaneers. And she does leave a lasting and indelible mark on both English aristocracy and the American upper class, not only through her incredible life, but most especially through her matchmaking. There's the first of our Consuelos in this arc, our first American girl to marry a Duke. I hope you stay curious and keep on investigating because next up for you is Consuelo's best friend, Jenny Jerome, the first to marry into the aristocracy. Thanks for spending your time with me, friends. Stay tuned for more big love. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at doneanddonepodcast. For further information about our episodes or sources, you can find us online at www.doneanddone.com. See you next week, friends.